is Marissa. This is Denise. And we are, are you there, God? It's us, the book bitches. And we are bringing you this podcast sponsored by ourselves and by these black cherry white claws. The only valid flavor other than lime. We want to clink them, but we don't think you will hear them, but we're going to try it anyways. Okay. Shh. Wait. Silence. really cool thing where we like open the can but then we open the can and then we just like could not get it we together we should have practiced we should have pra- yeah that's we on us because we had a, this is our third time that's okay i'll open another can later <laughs> so we are happy to be here <laughs> we also have our book for you today it is razor blade tears by s.a cosby this is one of the book of the month choices for this year 2021 um before we get into that one let's talk about denise what did you read this week okay so i've read the inheritance of orquidea divina and it's i feel like a really good if you're not sure about magical realism i feel like it's a really good step into magical realism well like also maybe explain what magical realism realism is and then give an example so magical realism is a genre of of novels that originated from Latin America and a lot of times it has to do with like supernatural or spiritual events happening in the real world and then everyone in the novel kind of rolls with it. Yeah, so um there's obviously it's one of it's one of my favorite genres, but it also has a lot of super famous, like, Latin American authors. Gabriel, uh, Gabriel Garcia. Marquez. Marquez. <laughs> I had a big... I actually... Like, I, a first name basis with him? I, I got stuck on the Garcia because I was like, is that Gabriel correct? Garcia. Marquez. Isabel? Um, is, <laughs> Isabel Allende. So that novel is a very good example of magical realism, and I think it's magical realism that could be accessible to people who are not used to reading that genre Mm. yeah because also with magical realism i think there comes the disclaimer of like this is weird shit and it's very like symbolic and poetic and poetic and you really really need to be committed to it like a hundred years of solitude i've read it four times i read it so many times and there's always something new but Mm -hmm. there's also every time because there's so many names in that particular one it, it can get confusing really fast. So I think this is a good one that won't confuse you if you're going to start out. Okay, good genre starter. Um, this week I read My Heart is a Chainsaw. This was one that I was really looking forward to because the author wrote the horror novel that came out last year. Yes. The Only Good Indians, oh, which it. was a Native American horror story. Frankly, one of the best... It. Uh, was I'm not scared. Let me just be clear. I'm not often scared by horror novels necessarily. Like, yeah, they freak me out. Um, but I can read them at night and I read them in bed. But that one was like, oh, it stayed with me. And it like haunted me. And part of it was because of like the visceral rage and sadness that was oh in it. God, no, I and know. I think this book was not nearly as sad, but talked a lot about what we talked about in our first podcast the final girl trope oh i love that and it kind it definitely subverted that genre it was so interesting um it was kind of dense that's good in a good way 
It wasn't, like, I would say it's not a fast read, but it's not, like, you're not stuck with it for 900 pages either. Um, and I really, I just really liked it. I thought, again, kind of like how I felt about, like, Final Girl Support Group by Grady Hendrix. My Heart is a Chainsaw. If you like classic horror movies, this is one you should also check. I was just gonna say I really love the title. Oh, I know. Love the title. The title is... It's just, everything It's to like, me. yeah, it's... The, um, my heart is a chainsaw. I want to literally the get level that tattooed of emotion. above my heart. I know. Anyways. So, how's it going? How do you feel? How's it, how's it, the white claw is hitting me in the head right now, so. Is it? Yeah. It doesn't take much. The Cinnabon hit me in the same way. <laughs> so, I sprained my foot. Like, let me tell, let me tell the audience really quick. I sprained my foot. It's just really, it's just a downer. I was walking down some stairs. Here's the thing. Hear me out. I have not great eyesight. If you know me in real life, you know that I wear glasses. And they're like the permanently affixed glasses to your face. Right. And I was walking down some steps, but it was like dusky. Like, I didn't, it wasn't pitch black. <laughs> it was dusky. Okay. And this is me justifying this next. Were you sober? I was. That's the thing. I was. Were you hydrated? <sighs> Probably not. And that's on me. So I'm walking down these dusky stairs. I'm confident because I'm like, it's not dark. I can see. I should know better because I am aging. I am getting up there. Yeah. And I... You're almost 30. Yeah. I go. I'm stepping down. I'm wearing my cute little wedges. Walking around like I'm a cute little little lady. And I miss the last two steps <laughs> of these stairs. Just by thinking I'm stepping on to like the next flight. I'm absolutely not... <laughs> That's so crazy. But then because I'm wearing these wedges, I, like, land, like, tiptoe on the wedges. My feet, like, bend under me. And I had a moment where I actually just started crying. Well, I didn't you even cry? Have, yeah, I didn't even think about it, though. Because I was filled with fear. <laughs> because I don't have insurance. <laughs> but, like, not... I just, like... I My insurance just ran out for my other job. So it's not a big deal. It's just that I don't have insurance. <laughs> So, I mean, I didn't cry because of pain. I didn't cry for fear. I cried because I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Let there not be anything wrong with me. <laughs> and the thing is that there is. <laughs> but I don't, okay, I don't think a sprain is something. And this could be me also not having insurance. <laughs> so, I guess sprains are, like, that crazy, right? Maybe like, this you, you, don't podcast, to, you don't have to go to the doctor for a sprain. This podcast should be called... Are you there, God? We don't have insurance. <laughs> Just make sure I mean, nothing I happens. I sprained my pinky like two months ago and it's still, it's yeah, still Yeah, you're weird. not giving, that's not a tale of hope. <laughs> like I, I caught it on something yesterday. I feel like I killed myself. It hurt so bad. <laughs> oh, man. Anyways, Are you there, God? We, have, we need universal <laughs> health care. <laughs> we sprained body parts. Um... Really, realistically, when I think about me spraining my foot, I'm like, that's so stupid. But, you know, it's like an accident. And oh, really... no, I thought you did it on purpose. <laughs> I did it for the intention <laughs> of falling down the stairs. I hoped everybody would care. That sucks because no one <laughs> No one really cares. No one's ever like, They're just like, like oh. oh, are you good? You don't get any extra attention. Next time I'll break something. <laughs> that's a threat. <laughs> Anyways... 
We are talking about the book Eraser Blade Tears today, and I'm so excited. Uh, we have a couple things that we want to share with you, and in the meantime, we are going to just take a two-second break to take a sippy sip of these wet claws, and maybe some water just to balance things out. All right, so we have Razor Blade Tears. I read this months ago. Denise just read it because she has to catch up to me. Um, the goal is always what I'm doing. Never anything unrelated. Denise is uh, <laughs> <was> staring, <laughs> staring into a blank space for a second. I was like, I was backtracking. Like, did we credit the author? Did we say his name? We did. Okay. Sorry. Um, and if we didn't, it's S. A. Cosby. Yes, Razorblade Tears by S. A. Cosby. I also think this is a dope ass title. Well, I love what it came from. Like that line that mm -hmm. he had where his tears felt like razor blades because his son died. That was really good. That Why was a great line. Why are you smirking when you say that? Is it the white claw? <laughs> Made you into a monster? <laughs> no, because I feel I feel silly, like, referring to, like, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot in the book. <laughs> yeah, you sound pretentious. All right, so looking at the synopsis here, we have Derek and Isaiah. Um, they have been brutally murdered on a sidewalk, execution style, leaving behind their young daughter, Ariana. Both of their fathers had essentially disowned them because of their homosexuality. These are two men who were married and who had adopted a daughter. Um, both men were incredibly kind and successful, which leads to the question about their deaths. Who wanted them killed and why? The fathers, Ike and Buddy, band together to solve this murder in a grisly nowhere novel for the modern time. I'm going to correct you really quick. Yeah. She's not adopted. Oh, wasn't she? Um, she was, um, one of them was a sperm donor. That's right. I was like, was there like was a surrogate. That's right. I couldn't remember. I, when I said it, I was like, Ooh, I think she was a surrogate. Yeah. So they have a daughter who's a surrogate, Derek and Isaiah, who honestly reading this book sound like the loveliest couple. We don't get to know them because they they're dead. Really nice. And yeah, we have, so this book for the most part centers around the two fathers, Ike and Buddy. Um, who at different points in their lives never had met each other prior to the funeral, meet each other at Isaiah's funeral, have similar stories on how they dealt with their son and homosexuality, which was... They didn't. They didn't, they, and they were also abusive. Yes. They don't bond over that. They're both kind of disgusted separately with their own actions, but that does bond them together. Ooh, good And then they both yeah. go on this journey to find out who killed their sons. Because again, like I said before, Derek and Isaiah, they're two people who are so kind and then also so involved with their community and also so like, just like two upstanding citizens that the murder of them execution style on a random sidewalk makes no sense. Because it was clearly like a professional had done it. Right. So that is the novel and that's where we start here. We want to talk about a couple things with it. So, Denise, you posed a question, and I it made me think, which it, is a good thing. Well, and I didn't come up with a question. I saw someone say something along the lines on Goodreads, and I, I actually ended up thinking, hey, that's like a, a valid question. Yeah, we're and not going to tell you the question. We're actually going to circle around <laughs> this for five more minutes. <laughs> the question is, why read a redemptive tale of two homophobes? And I think that's a good question, because it's not like they're, they're going on this journey for revenge. But it doesn't matter because Isaiah and Derek are dead. They're not being redeemed in their eyes mm -hmm. because they're no longer here. So what is the point of reading this? Like, why subject you, yourself to reading about two kind of shitty people? Right. So something, too, uh, I think we should know is that in this book, the author is telling you from the perspective of these two men who were not comfortable 
with their sons being gay. Right. And, and who both had prison backgrounds, and, and that was important to that. had prison backgrounds, who also grew up in a very, like, toxic masculinity type of deal. Yeah. And all of that contributes to how they saw their sons when they were coming out. And the author doesn't pull punches. There are definitely slurs in this book. There are definitely scenes where if you feel like you yourself might be triggered by reading some of those things, I might avoid this. There's descriptions of them abusing their children. Yeah, there's definitely descriptions of, you know, you have, was it the one that I thought was Buddy Lee was Buddy. beat the crap out of Derek. When and, he found out he was yeah, gay. And Isaiah, Ike didn't beat Isaiah, if I'm not mistaken, but he did emotionally neglect him. And he essentially disowned him when he said, yeah. I'm going to marry Derek. Right. And so we have these these really notable scenes of... These two men, who are very flawed characters. People that you may not like if you met them in real life. Yeah, essentially abusing their kids. And so throwing that out there, that if that's something that maybe you yourself have experienced or something that maybe is close to home to you, this might not be the book for you. No, and I I can't... I don't think either of us could recommend it, like, ethically, if you do have those issues. Yeah, I would feel bad. So throw that out there. But why would you want to read this redemptive tale? It's hard. There's not a good answer for why you should read it. Mm -hmm. Really, there's not, like, one thing that I can say that could change everyone's mind on reading this. What I found, and this is just me personally, I think two things make this novel valuable. And one is that they do show themselves growing and trying to be better throughout the novel. And I think it could give people reading this like hope that their shitty relatives their parents or whoever in their life has made them feel bad for who they are maybe it can give them hope that these people can change Mm -hmm. okay yeah and i definitely see you see the i don't want to say a full character shift for either of these guys well i'm gonna be realistic yeah but you do see this kind of like softening this move towards we're trying to understand this and you know i just want to (laughs) like i don't understand people who are not like overly religious who hate gay people you know what i mean like when you're yeah i don't get it when you're very religious you're religious because your religion is masculinity (laughs) even you're really religious and you're like that bigoted kind of religious and hi i came out of a christian organization that pretended like they weren't but they were you do see that, like, disgust and the talk of abomination and the talk of, like, well, it says in the Bible this. Um, when really, like, the different translations that are coming out in modern times are saying, maybe they meant pedophiles. Maybe they meant this. Maybe that wasn't how they interpreted it. Or maybe it doesn't match up with the culture of the time. Whatever. Be that as it will. My confusion <laughs> is when you're not overly religious. Because as much as you want to be like, they suck, they do. But to them, they have, and this is big air quotes, just so everyone knows, they have their reason air quotes. Got it. What about the rest of you? <laughs> like, you just... I just... I, mean, I just no, I confused. was like, I know I made that joke, but I did mean it. Like, they've really given, especially with gay men, that idea of masculinity. Ike had his reason, and part of his reason was that in prison, the men that were gay were weak. Mm-hmm. And he didn't want his son to be weak. And that's a shitty-ass reason. We're that's not, not even in prison. true. Yeah. Like, it, it, it really has ties to culture. It's not just religion. It's culture. And, like, right. also how religion is embedded in a lot of American culture. Mm. 
And we're going to definitely talk about, there's two scenes in this book that I think really define a lot of homophobia in both a religious and not religious setting. So that's my first thing. So you had a second point about why people should. Um, yeah, my second point was that in terms of just creating and making a novel, who is better to get revenge than two gritty ass old men? fucked up with their sons yeah no i love it so the novel is valuable on just an entertainment value yes but then also on the maybe the people in my life can change if they can change just a little bit i would also say that this book has a really great contribution to noir to mystery to westerns um in terms of just how well it's written it's a really well-written book. It's very specific stylistically. It's super specific stylistically. Again, when you're looking for the kind of book that reflects Raymond Chandler and all of these P.I.s in the 1950s, this book definitely has that feel with the grittiness of modern day, with actually like more relevant themes, obviously, than maybe like the 1950s were giving you because we're in 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's just... Also, as a literary work, super good, super strong. So it has value in terms of literature, in terms of entertainment, and in terms of hope, Mm -hmm. I would say. And um, again, I just want to reiterate, as a queer person, I have had a privileged time coming out. So while I read this book and it did make me upset... It did not tap into any kind of trauma for me. So I just, we both want to say again, if the idea of homophobia, like intense homophobia and violence might trigger you, this is not probably not the read for you. Yeah, when Denise came out, everyone was like, dope. Everyone was like, no shit. Yeah, no. Like, if you really reasonably... Have you ever met me? Yeah. Have you ever... If anybody had, if you even, like, walked by her, you'd have been like, hmm. Have you ever met a queer <laughs> person? She was the... What is it? Oh, God. What? The, when you're like the example. What is that called? Oh, my God. The white Epitome? glove. No, you're like the picture boy. <laughs> <laughs> what is that called? <laughs> um, picture. The picture. The dictionary. No. What? What am I talking about? <laughs> the. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. She's going to look at I'm going to look at synonyms. For the synonym for picture boy. <laughs> I don't think it's going to come up with anything that I'm trying to boyfriends. say. Boyfriends. <laughs> I would also call my picture boys boyfriends. <laughs> no. Anyways. Okay. So looking at, for Personification. me. Personification. No. Parag- Paragon. I feel embodiment. Like it, embodiment. No, it's not embodiment, though. <laughs> These are all really good synonyms for what I'm thinking of, but I can't <laughs> think of. So for me, reading a redemptive tale of two homophobes, um, there were two notable scenes, I okay. felt like. Okay, so... Oh, man, are you going to talk about that bar scene? Because that pissed me off. No, I'm not. There was... No. Okay. But you should talk about the bar scene. When we get into it a little bit later. I'm actually going to talk about the funeral, which is like the first freaking chapter. And then I'm going to talk about the barber shop, which is a little bit later in the book. So there is one scene in particular. And I think that this one was the one that, given both of our backgrounds, um, coming from a non-denominational Christian church and... Whoa. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) And also, you know, I still consider myself a Christian, as do you... Mm -hmm. But 
maybe not the homophobic part. I can't say that I'm into that. Like, I may be against that. Wait, hold on. Can I, <laughs> can I tell a story really quick? Yes, you can. Okay. So the reason I took so long coming out, right, mm-hmm. was because we were going to this church that was heavily homophobic. And one day they were like, look, girls, you're not attracted to other girls. This was like when I was 13. You're not attracted to other girls. You just think they're like pretty. You might just admire her outfit. And that's how I convinced myself that everything I felt for women was just that I admired them. Am I into her and her personality? Maybe, but I just like her. I ignored these intense crushes because they convinced me it couldn't be because I was gay. You guys, the <laughs> other day, Denise told me, she's like, yeah, I actually, um, she her first job was at a movie theater yeah. and she was talking about their gift exchange and she got this girl and she didn't have a lot of money, but she really liked this girl. She wanted so to impress her. Girl. And I was like, I and was so again, closeted. I was like, I'm not into she's, this girl. She was closeted. She, just, she <laughs> said, I just wanted, I just to, wanted be to be her friend. friend. <laughs> and Denise made her a full ass mix CD. I did. That's was, romantic, but it was it was a little bit pathetic. <laughs> because I just, I can't believe, like, I, I'm sitting here thinking about myself. What, like, how many years ago at this point? Like seven seven no it was no, like, it was it was like was, eight or it was, nine it was ten. Oh my god 10 years ago and i oh was boy. so convinced that i wasn't bisexual that i was really telling myself no the feelings i feel for this girl are normal and just friendly <laughs> i want you to know i was so excited every time we worked together and i thought she was so pretty and i was like no 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 just friendship <laughs> just friendship just thing Hashtag friendship. Oh, man. So there's this church scene. I think this hit me pretty hard, and I know you said this one was, it sucked to read. Yeah. But you have the funeral of Isaiah that Ike is coming out of, and Ike goes to, it seems like, think the reverend, but really (laughs) confront the reverend. That's how I like to do things. Just confront people aggressively and do it as aggressively as possible I, when i now that i scene, myself I of you yeah now i myself am not a large man so i can't <laughs> physically intimidate people but i will intimidate them with the sheer crazy in my eyes your tone of voice intimidates people enough that's true many people many people have said to me that i have a lot of chaotic energy and i feel that i feel like it can intimidate in the right way and rage Enrage, definitely. So there's a scene um, with the church funeral. Uh, he goes up to him to say thank you, but he goes, I just got to ask you, why did you preach the funeral? And the reverend answered, oh, your wife asked me to, Maya asked me to. And he said, I know Maya asked you, but why did you do it? Because I could tell you didn't want to. He tightened his grip on Johnson's hand, which is the right thing to do when someone is offensive. Yeah. And he said, you kept talking about abominable sin over and over. You thought my son was an abomination, I asked. Ike, I never said that. You didn't have to say it. I might just cut grass for a living, but I know an insult when I hear it. You think my son was some kind of monster and you made sure everybody at his funeral knew it. My boy was less than five feet away from you and you couldn't shut the fuck up about his si- how his sins were forgivable. His abominable sins. And I think that's something that the church absolutely loves to preach scripturally where did they get that it was like so abominable it does say there is a verse in there but that's the one that a lot of people are now translating it to be well pedophilia pedophilia. um but the church loves to say hate the sin love the sinner okay and they really like to apply that mostly to gay people 
It's weird because technically in theological thought, and if you didn't know this, me and Denise both have AAs in, in biblical Christian studies. theology. Yeah. Oh, in biblical studies, whatever it's in. And with that being said, actually in the Bible, no sin is greater than the other. But for some reason, in a lot of Christian churches, in a lot of Christian thought, it's like homosexuality actually is the worst sin. And so, yes, always acknowledging it as an abomination God forbid we talk about people who are in... I think because they're like, every day you wake up and you make that choice. Yeah. I don't want to fight against myself every day. So yeah, I guess I'm making a choice to not do anything about it. Yeah, I guess I'm making a choice to not pretend I'm not gay. That reminds... I saw a tweet. I sent you this tweet. Of this girl (laughs) that was like, you know, heterosexuality is a choice. I fight my desire for same-sex relations with women. And it's funny because it's like, girl, please. But at the same time, it's fucking sad that Christians have brainwashed people into thinking they have to fight this fundamental part of who you are. Yeah, I want to say that I've never had to fight real hard to be straight. (laughs) Somehow I just like men. And is it unfortunate at times? I mean, I like men still. Yeah. Sometimes. It's is it unfortunate at times? Oh, bitch, talking to them sometimes. <laughs> so that's the first scene. That's the first scene that I wanted to talk about. In that scene, we kind of see this little bit of a redemption curve. So don't talk shit about my son, but also in the background, it's kind of like that I can be mean to you, but no one else can be mean to well, you. Type his of deal. wife calls him out on it, like like you, oh, why are you sudden, defending him? Yeah. All of a sudden, you didn't care about him when he was fucking living, right? So you're that first scene, and you. This is the first 10 pages of the book. You get to see how flawed this man is, really but also how pages. how emotional this is and how you can feel two things at once that are contradicting. Well, and he he said this and he repeats it throughout the book basically like like what I felt about him being gay doesn't matter at the end because my son's dead and I should have appreciated him and loved him when he was here. It didn't matter what he was. Mm-hmm. That's the first scene. The second scene is this barbershop scene. So now we're further into the book. Remember, these two men are avenging the deaths of their sons. We make it further into this, I don't want to say mob plot, but like very powerful men are at the top of this kind of plot. No, it was politicians. Politicians too. Yeah. Politicians I was and like mob. Mob and politicians and conservative politicians who are supposedly against gay people and their ilk. <laughs> But then we find out the truth. Um, So anyways, so we have all these like this like higher ranging plots. So now you figure out somewhere in the story how Derek and Isaiah have somehow stumbled into this accidentally, really got execution or executed in a way that was completely unfair to them. Mm -hmm. And we stumble upon the barbershop scene where Ike, I don't know, maybe you felt this way. Did you feel like Ike was the more useful of the two? Don't know. Yes, but at the same time, I needed Buddy Lee because he was funny. And, and he was like a... Like, sometimes I wanted to just punch Ike in the face. Ike was a lot. Like, a lot And time. Buddy Lee was like, he like he leveled casual. everything out. But I also think that's why he specifically needed Ike to help him. Right. Hunt these men down. Right. So, and then something note to note is that Buddy was the one that wanted to avenge the deaths. Yeah. Ike didn't want any part of it. He Ike, had a death wish, I guess. And fairly, fairly fair on... Fairly fair. Fairly pretty fair. fair. Pretty fair on Ike's part, because Ike is a black man who has been in prison, so obviously, you know, they're gonna look at him first, microscope, type of... Wait, not oh, microscope, yeah. What yeah. is this one that you hold up to your eye? A microscope? No, 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 no. the one you hold. Oh, like, like a looking glass? No, that's like... What are you, Victorian from? times? <laughs> this is the 1800s. 
1800s of looking glass? <laughs> no, the the one, the circle one, magnifying that glass. Magnifying glass. <laughs> He's under the magnifying glass. And looking glass. The looking glass. That was really like Alice in Wonderland of you. That was super formal of you. <laughs> Jump off my dick. Okay, so we get to the, the barbershop scene. Ike goes back to his original gang connections, um, hoping to get some information, hoping to get some help. He basically, I don't want to say like blackmails them, but is like, hey, I did prison time for you guys and you guys gave me my wife $300. That and was that so was shit. It. No, that was he so shit. It wasn't blackmail. He was just calling it a favor. He was calling it a favor that he felt was he was very old, owed and he was not wrong. They did no, owe him a favor. Did, did, but the guy them. acted so offended like, oh, fuck that guy. No, I know. That guy sucked. I just, I, that guy made me so mad. So we call slice. him this favor. Yeah, Slice sucked. He calls him this favor. Um, he goes back to his gang-related connections at this barber shop. But while he's at this barbershop, he's kind of waiting out front in the, where they're actually, there's a barbershop. Yeah. And in the back is where the business gets done with this gang stuff. So he's waiting for him out the front. And in the midst of this, he is privy to a conversation that's happening between some younger black men, I would say. No, there's an older there one. There was like an older was, one right It was too. just it was like a mix. The patrons the that barbers. are going. No, the one that was really obnoxious that was younger. So that was the one I was thinking of. So in the barbershop, you see this conversation between some of the patrons. It is quite homophobic. And it's definitely interesting and definitely that you something that I've heard in conversation, you've heard in conversation. Um, the first page, they see a commercial for a drag show competition. Obviously, it's a black man, so it's going to be RuPaul. They just didn't name it. And one of the men in it, in the shop says, you know why it's on. White folks love seeing black men in dresses. It's a whole thing about feminizing us, making us weak. So we have that first thought. That's an interesting thought. I understand the idea of like not just mistrusting white people in a general sense, but also to make the huge leap of logic that all black men who engage in drag are feminizing themselves and therefore making themselves weaker i would not make that well argument. and also that they're like somehow, they're lesser yeah the second conversation and this is a continuing conversation these are just choice pieces that i've chose we have craig who says let my boys come home talking about that gay shit they're gonna be living in a cardboard box down by the river nah bump that i'm gonna beat the shit out of them any man let his son grow up gay he done failed and a lot to unpack there, but not necessarily something that is unrealistic. A lot of people do kick out their children when they come out. They also do beat the shit out of them. They also think it's a choice that... And they also think it's a choice. And you can see that kind of choice perspective. And when he says any man who lets his son grow up gay. Yeah. So we kind of have just a lot to unpack there. But again, this is not something that is a completely uncommon thought. The author is not exaggerating. He's not making this satirical. People do think this way. And the author is reflecting that in his writing. So we go on and down the line, we have Ike who is listening to this and it's just pissing him off. Right. And, you know, Ike, we've talked about, very flawed character, but it, he's also, at this point, so far in avenging his son, has started to come around to see a different perspective. I like this scene because it shows the culture that Ike came from. I wish we had that with Buddy Lee. We only have Buddy Lee's half-brother, really. And all we see of his half-brother is he's one of those super right-wing, 
super hateful doomsday weapons um second amendment quarter second amendment type of deals so i i just i what's the connection (laughs) just hear me out Maybe you know. Okay. Like, this is, real, right. this is like a real question. Okay. If anybody listens to this and has an answer, please text me, message me, <laughs> send me a... Send us a Telegram. Oh, okay. Or a DM. <laughs> but what is the connection between, like, very right-wing conservative people and bunkers? <laughs> like, uh, preparing for the end of time. Dude, that's a good question. No. Okay, so you don't... <laughs> I think, no, I think because they're really always, like, especially when it's, like, anyone even kind of left or democratic is in power, they're like, this is it. This is the end of America. China's coming. The Soviets are coming. I really like when people are like... Even though the Soviet Union They're like, Second exist. Amendment rights. We need to protect ourselves against the government. I'm always like, What? I get it, but like, what is the government's coming straight to your door? I just have quite like in their oh, minds. They have, they, no, but I'm like, they what was inflate themselves with them? That's what I'm saying. I'm like, in their minds, what do they think is going to happen? Like, what is the picture they get? Because you know what fueled them? I'm not even kidding. Um, Waco, Texas, I guess. with Dave, Dave Crush, Dave Crush, Dave Crush. Yeah. So we see Ike, um, in this initial conversation, listening. Goes back to talk to Slice, goes back to talk to his connections with his gang world. Old connections, I must say, because he's already built a new years. reputation for himself. He's moved on since then, um, and he doesn't really want to come back to it, but feels like he needs to to avenge his son's death. So he's leaving that conversation, walking back out through the barbershop, stops in front of Craig, who was, I would say, probably the loudest about the homophobic comments in the original conversation, and says... If I snuck in your house one night and slit your son's throat, I guarantee the last thing you would be worrying about was if he was gay or not, Ike said. And that's pretty, that's hard. That's like, that's a lot. That was intense. That was aggressive. But he's not wrong. I hope if someone's homophobic that my dad does the same thing. Yeah. (laughs) Really, when we get to the bottom line, and this is something that we talked about, Ike has been carrying this question of, not this question but this thought of my son is now dead was it really that important that he was gay no yeah and we see that again reflected in that statement and realistically you know you have a lot of these parents that beat the shit out of their kids that send them to these horrible conversion camps that um want to pray the gay away who kick them out and we have all of these things and ultimately if you said to most of those parents i would say most of them hopefully how would you feel if your child was just dead they would regret it. They would regret it. I would hope. I would hope. I would think a lot of people would regret it. Right. But that's one of those things where you said yesterday you want to give somebody their flowers before they die. Yeah. So that's where we leave off. And that's one of the reasons why I think this is a really good, if you will, kind of redemptive tale. Here's the thing. The redemption, it's kind of up to you. Because you have to, you as the reader have to weigh, did they redeem themselves? Is it enough that they hunted down these killers mm-hmm. and um was that enough to make up for what they did to their sons and can i just give my personal opinion yeah go for it i mean no i don't think so i mean yes yeah. thank you for avenging your son's death thank you for bringing down this politician who was essentially very evil yeah and harmful to the lgbtq plus community but no yeah i don't like that's not something you you don't get to assume forgiveness after somebody's dead no 
No, you don't. And it's they tough. were both still very flawed. Um, and you mentioned earlier the scene in the club. Do you want to just walk oh, us through uh, that? Yeah, because this is this is why I also can't say yes. They've redeemed themselves in my very queer heart. Mm-hmm. Because, um, and this is like in the middle of the book. So they've already had these kind of together, these conversations of, did it matter that our sons were gay? No. But then Ike is, they're, they're investigating and they're in this gay bar that their sons used to go to. And they're talking to the patrons, trying to, you know, shake some shit out of trees. And one very drunk man comes up to Ike. And shake starts, some shit out of the trees. Shake some shit out of the trees. I made up my own saying. That's not a saying. saying. No. Not a saying. No. <laughs> I was looking at your eyes so intensely right now because I was like, what? I think I riffed off a saying, but I, you know, you know what the fuck I'm saying. You guys have to also know the setup that we have here is that we just look at each other while we record this. <laughs> and I'm just like, at times I will just blankly stare into her face because I have no idea what she's talking about. Continue. Sorry. <laughs> They're shaking shit out of trees. I get it. I got it. And a very drunk gay man comes up to Ike and basically starts hitting on him. I mean, to be fair, they're in a gay bar. Yeah. Ike was not apparently prepared for this possibility. I don't know. Did not think this through, I no. just... And this guy's hitting on him, and at one point, and he touches really his... Nice. And he's nice. He's not pushy, and he touches Ike's arm. Like and, me, right now. Yeah. Not but you're not you. flirting with me. <laughs> like, I want to make that clear to everyone. There's no one to flirt with here. Um... He touches Ike's arm, and Ike freaks the fuck out. For no reason. His vibes are all the way the fuck off in this scene. No, terrible vibes. He literally slams this guy against the wall. And it's it's awful, because, you know, a gay bar, it's supposed to be... A safe space. A safe space for any queer people that come into it. And I get it. You have, you know, your straight men coming in there investigating. But that doesn't mean you get to disrupt that space. Or, I would say, even get uncomfortable when... Like, the consequences of you being in a gay bar, not, I don't want to say consequence, but the result of you being in a gay bar would be presumably, somebody may hit on you. Yeah. Because you're a man in a gay bar. Well, at like, the end of the day, like, if And someone, they were acting like patrons. It just, and so he slams this guy up against the wall, he get, and he punches him, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. And then they get kicked out. And the dudes that he had previously been talking to just looked at him and they were just, they were betrayed. And it pissed me off. The scene pissed me off so bad because not only is this a safe space for queer people, it's like, what the fuck? Mm -hmm. Like this man was, yeah, he was flirting with you, but there was no reason to violate him in that way. It was a solid overreaction. And you have to also think... All right, if you were in a regular club and a woman came up to you... And would you slam her against a yeah, wall? and the no. answer would be no, and you know why you did that. So that's when we talk about them being like, yes, you want them to be redeemable, but they're not. Like, you can't... I think the best quality of this book and what the author, I think, intended for us was for us to take these very flawed men and see them as flawed. See them as trying to be better, and that's where you get that kind of, like, idea of hope. Mm-hmm. But you're not going to make these men into saints, and I don't think that you should. And I th- and I think the author leaves that up to you to decide at the end, did they do enough? And you know what? I made the decision for all of us. <laughs> no, and I agree with that decision, because that in particular irritated me. With the territory of revenge novels comes flawed characters, right? Mm-hmm. And the author's job is to get us on their sides. 
And I feel like he does a great job of that. Right, so in that way, this is a classic revenge novel. But I want to make the argument, okay? Mm -hmm. Because when I read it. this book, I didn't think classic revenge tale. I thought Western. Interesting. Because Westerns often have revenge. And I thought True Grit. Oh my god, cool. So Give me the I parallels. Wanna, okay, I want to, I'm going to Wait, you... which True Grit? Because the one with... No, I'm not talking about the movie, I'm talking about the book. Oh, okay. But I the love book. the... The book's really the, newer movie the original movie i thought was weird there was just a few parts i was like what the definitely fuck? had a bad vibe sorry I, some racist vibes sometimes i look at like movies that were made in like the 50s 60s or 70s and i'm like what the whole hell was going on here what did we watch yesterday the hills have eyes oh but the 70s God. version the that was like Raven version yeah that dope, one dope, sucked dope. Ass. this one was it was so long and boring it was just these hill people and but weirdly they, even, they were like not they were they dressed were wearing like, like native american stereotypical garb, native american but they garb. were very white so that was confusing that felt racist no it was definitely <laughs> racist <laughs> i didn't love it anyways okay i want to draw the parallels of this novel too a western and mm -hmm. the first parallel is cowboys i would say these are cowboys they're yeah. operating outside the law for sure and you know they're gritty they've been out of prison who doesn't they've love lived a, cowboy? a rough ass fucking life mm -hmm. okay two there's bad guys yeah no shit those are our villains like there's bad guys in this come on hey there's bad guys but they're they're obvious bad guys they're okay. not like morally gray they're where you're they're like bad maybe fucking... you're a bad guy well and they're i mean half of our villains are it's a motorcycle gang. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, to me... I would start a motorcycle gang. Okay, but those are, like, <laughs> the gangs of bad guys I would start... in Western novels, Mercy, please. <laughs> Sorry, that's the What would plot. you call your motorcycle gang? Pretty bullies. <laughs> you guys would get beat boy? up. I... You would get beat up. We're okay. a wholesome... We're wholesome. We're not... Oh, right. here. All right. The lawless, for the children. <laughs> the lawlessness of the region and era. And I, mean, I would say, uh, okay, so here's my thing. Okay. I wouldn't say that it was the region or era that was lawless, but rather the laws that these bikers were operating under. Mm. So I would say there was maybe the idea of the lawlessness that comes when you're wealthy and, and powerful yes ah oh, that was the because next that's thing exactly that's okay law, but people don't tend to think of that when we think of lawlessness i think a lot of times we think of like i want to say stereotypical criminal yes instead bitch. of instead of the white collar these white collar politicians who are shady as hell mm-hmm Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly. So that we have the lawlessness. We have the sheriffs. Mm -hmm. We have the two detectives who did not do shit to figure out who killed their oh sons. Oh my god, right? They were just like random shooting. No, right. it wasn't. They and were the, killed literally in right. such a specific way. And that brings up, that also goes back to revenge novels because a lot of times revenge novels, the protagonists are working outside the law. Well, I think the really cool thing about revenge novels is there has to be a reason for revenge. Right. And sometimes what fetters into that is the people who are supposed to do their job don't do their job. Right. Now, this list specifically lists Native Americans and Western settlers or pioneers, but I'm talking about what modern Western, so I'm going to skip over that. But descriptions of wilderness. Well, it's a pioneer. Because he literally mean? came out of jail and made his own business. 
That's true. And, I mean, and he was but very it, successful. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll take that. Okay. References to the American Civil War. Maybe not. <laughs> gang, but like they, they referenced gang activities and like totally. prison and different I, sides. I would say that's not like that at all. No. But that's what I'm going to make it. Okay. Descriptions of wilderness. They didn't describe wilderness, but they did describe the... I mean, if you keep bringing up points that they didn't do... <laughs> What if it's just like four out of seven? That's no, still no, pretty no, good. No, no, I've not even done though. Shootouts and duels. There definitely was shootouts. Oh my god, and it was very western. Oh my god, yeah, that was. In the last one, this is the important one. Mm-hmm. Revenge. Yes. And this was a revenge tale. And so I feel like okay, I can feel I can get that. I can get I'm gonna argue a western. that this is a western. I'm gonna argue it's a modern western. That is not tied down mm-hmm. to the American Civil War. <laughs> but I'm going to say it's a Western. No mention of the South in this. Right. Well, no, no mention of the South. Right. Um, so I thought it was more of a, more of a, yeah, a noir tale. Mm-hmm. We have that very like hard boiled detective deal going on here. Yeah. We have um, that. A lot of times with those hard-boiled detective novels. So, if you know me, I get really obsessed with genres. It's actually a little problematic. It's a sickness. Do you guys remember The Lincoln Lawyer? That was It was one movie with Matthew McConaughey. Do yeah. you remember that? Yeah. Okay, that was a book. And it I was a read freaking 20-book series. And I read them. I, I think I probably read all 20 of those books in maybe a month. The dude was I like just an powered asshole. through them. I the main character was a dick. How did you I read have those? mixed feelings. Oh, okay. But I think it was because I kept picturing Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> when I think of Matthew McConaughey, I think of him and I just want him to be like, howdy. Like, I just want him to say that to me one time. Oh, I thought you were going to do, I think of the Wolf on Wall Street thing. No. The- Absolutely not. Chest something thing. I saw Wolf on Wall Street by myself and it was just so much debauchery. I I actually had to leave to take a break. I was like, I can't I can't watch I didn't need a break, but I did need to loudly complain about Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, the whole I can't time. watch Leonardo DiCaprio and Jonah Hill be dicks the whole time. I mean I did, but yeah, I had to Jonah take a five minute break. So creepy. Mm. I can't talk about it. I also think Jonah Hill's kinda hot. It's not important. For sure though. But Right? Yeah. So, so I thought this was more of a modern, hard-boiled detective. Okay. I this is how I felt. I got it. Um, And for the reasons that in those novels, a lot of time you have a very, like, lyrical type of writing, very metaphorical, and he managed to include a lot of that kind of gist, that kind of vibe in this book. I really appreciated that. That's where you get, I mean, the title of the book that we already talked about that was dope was The Razor Blade Tears. Yeah. Very lyrical, very metaphorical, beautiful writing. Um, as well as you have the, a lot of times in those like hard-boiled detective novels, you have the flawed protagonist. Mm-hmm. Similar to Westerns. Yes. Where you have these guys who you're not sure if you like them or not, and you're not sure if they're supposed to be likable. But a lot of times they're operating off some kind of moral compass. And it may not be one that's determined well, by law. Though. I wouldn't even say that. I, yeah, it's definitely not determined by law. I would also say their moral compass is more of a means to an end. Which means they'll do bad things in order to get a favorable result. But the favorable yes. result 
is the morally right result. So I agree. Yeah, that's how I felt about this book. I quite like the one. style that it was written, and that's why when I voted for the book of the month, book of the year, I picked this one. I thought it was a really, really good, good book. Super well written. I love the story. I love that I paused. <laughs> that you were going to say something you, else. It was a really, really good book. And I, it was because I was going to say, this White Claw is making me talk faster than my brain is working. I was going to say it has really, really good writing. And even that's not a very good sentence. <laughs> not enough for that dramatic ass pause. <laughs> I used the pause for the drama. Okay. So moving on from the style and our last question of the night, Denise. Yes. Tell me why you love revenge novels. I love that they operate outside the law, man. Because mm. I feel like that gets down. Yeah, fuck the law. Yeah. Honest. Well, don't, <laughs> don't let me go there. No, 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 no. Shh. Don't. We didn't say that. We said it. I'm just saying, like, I love a good novel that is like, you know what? I'm just going to fucking take matters into my own hands. We love a vigilante. Because what, like, what what were the cops going to do? Well, well clearly they, they already... weren't going to do anything. <laughs> yeah, by then they had already given up. So, so we love a good vigilante moment. Yeah, like Batman. No one complains about Batman, but everyone no, else... No, people complain about Batman. People complain. <laughs> the people have complained. That's true. There are complaints. Yeah. Vigilantes. I love vigilantes. But we action. do love a little vigil. Just a little vigilante. <laughs> yeah, so that's why I love the revenge novel, because it is operating outside of law, uh, operating outside of what a lot of people consider to be their own ethical or moral code. But at the same time, I think it does have a sense... Um, like, at the center of it, they did have a moral code. They did have ethics. Yeah, It just wasn't what for, we consider to be moral or I would say they're fighting for more of the greater good. Yeah. Because fuck that motorcycle gang. But not why, my why motorcycle you... gang, the pretty boys. <laughs> Brits of Lee. <laughs> forgot about them. Why? Okay, so... You can't what? forget about them. I don't... Okay. <laughs> All right. Sorry. Why do you love the revenge novel? There is... Something very gratifying. Maybe because I myself am petty. I think if you know me at all. Oh, they're going to say full of rage. And full of rage. If you know me at all, you know that I operate on like a level of petty at most instances. For no reason. Yeah. I hope nobody who's ever worked with me knows that is listening. Don't listen. Um, but I do work on like a level of petty. And a lot of times the way that I see that. Is I'm enacting fairness into a situation. You right. may disagree with me. That's fine. You're not the moral police. <laughs> Neither am I. <laughs> but when I read a revenge tale. I'll police my own morals. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. When I read a revenge tale, there's something so gratifying in seeing the bad guys lose. And especially when we're talking about a novel like this, where there are very clear cut bad guys. Now, we're not talking about the protagonist where they have those like gray characters that we're still deciding on we're talking about bad guys bad guys who killed the sons right who are operating outside of the law who are the criminals of the story they have those clear-cut bad guys and we love to see them lose because they are awful and we love to see them lose at the people who are actually wronged like at the hands of the people mm -hmm. who are wrong not at the hands of the, the law, law. that unfortunately you don't really want to see them be arrested 
because that's where it gets kind of it gets meh. Like I think I think a lot of people really buy into that idea that justice can truly only be had by your own hands, right? In certain situations, I get it. I get it. That's how I feel when I'm wronged. Oh yeah, okay. don't wrong me. Oh, is shit, the, dude. That's the moral of this lesson. Anyways. Um, in seeing this novel in particular, I liked this revenge novel because the people who lose are the people who hate other people who are living a lifestyle that has nothing to do with them. A lot of times, and, um, my best friend Deborah, this is for her, this is a shout out, but we have said it a lot of times when we're talking about, I would say maybe like political issues or social justice, justice issues, Sometimes things just boil down to mind your business. No, truly. You truly don't need to be bothered by everything. It's not your... Sometimes things are just not your business. Right. And so, with that being said, in this novel, the people who lose are the people who deserve to lose because of their moral code. And who we wanted to see And who we wanted to see lose. So, it is, again, in that way, very gratifying. Um, and I mean, if you're going to, we're going to look at anything. Let's look at the last two years, right? 2020 and 2021 in all of U.S. history, really any history. And it feels like the most, like most people don't get the justice or fairness that is deserved, but revenge novels give that to us. Yes. So particularly this one, you know, if we're talking about the LGBTQ plus community, the fight is still going, and when we have a revenge novel like this, that feels like, hmm, this was gratifying to us. Maybe our f- fight can be won sometimes. Yeah. Um. With that, last thought, with a connection to this novel, I just want to talk about a recent study. And in this study, it showed that 66% of Americans would be supportive if one of their family members came out as lesbian, gay, or bisexual. Mm-hmm. That number drops to 57% um, if they come out as non-binary or trans. I thought those were pretty good numbers. Until <laughs> I saw Spain. That uh-huh. is at 91% and 87% respectively. Shit. Thanks, Spain. Uh, yeah, we're doing terribly. Yeah, so Spain was first. Britain was second with 85% and 71%. Okay. Um, and then after that, Italy, Denmark, Sweden, and Germany... France was the weirdest statistic. Mm-hmm. Um, 57% were only supportive of lesbian, gay, bisexual relatives. But 77% were supportive of trans or non-binary relatives. It's a strange switch. <laughs> yeah. But with that said, I just want to um, make end this by saying, thinking about those numbers, this novel gives us hope that maybe people can change. And right. that's my biggest reason for loving this novel is that... You know, even people that have had some rough-ass ideas, maybe they can change. And if we're at over half of America maybe being okay with their relatives being part of the queer community, maybe we're actually making progress. Mm. And to that, let's clink our clink... Can't... Oh my god, let's <laughs> clink our cans, but let's do it. Okay, you ready? <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> Um, with that being said, thank you so much for joining us. We absolutely love this novel. We would 100% recommend it. Who would you recommend it to? Anybody in particular? Um, anyone who loved the first Wives Club. 
feel like, yeah. you know, if you love a good revenge novel, chick lit or not, you're going to love this. That's a good one. I really like the first Wives Club. Yeah. The book is gritty. Oh, I love it. It's so If raunchy. you've only seen, like, the movie with Goldie Hawn and Bette Midler and, um... Read the book. It's really dirty. Yeah. In <laughs> the best way. No, it is. It's very good. Who would you recommend this to? So who are you going to recommend this book to? Uh, anyone who likes a good mystery, thriller, detective, western. That is Honestly. so many different genres. <laughs> well, it fits in all of them and everybody will enjoy this book. It's f- So I would recommend this truly to anybody. Anybody who likes reading even a little bit. I think you'd enjoy this book. It's a pretty broad, broad recommendation. <laughs> so broad. Everybody read this. it down even a little bit? No, and I will not. <laughs> you know why? Because I'm on White Claw number two, and I really can't think of categories of people right now, so I refuse to. Everybody enjoy this. You're welcome. Okay. Moving on to um, our next podcast will be on the book Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. So exciting. This is um, also magical realism, but... but- American. American, right? Yeah, so magical realism can fall into different categories based on the culture. Latin American magical realism is very specific. American magical realism is also very specific. So, but can we just say that Latin Americans probably do it better? They do. But this book is great. This book's really and good. And it's a classic, even though it's it just not came a out classic. last year. You can't just say things are classics. It's I, very good. It's very oh, funny. Oh, yeah? Who's determining that? Who's determining that classic fucking police. The Great Gatsby is a classic white man? We're going to let white men see <laughs> what classics are to us? Fuck that. <laughs> Nothing to see here is a classic. I've decided. <laughs> okay. With that being said, thank you for listening to us and tune in in two weeks for episode four. Bye.